Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unbox podcast. My name is Reese, and today it is going to be a double recording day. Um, I wanted to get this first one out before the government's press conference, which after which I'm going to be recording another coronavirus update. But today, this episode right now, the one you're listening to, is my 50th episode of Politics Unboxed. So I wanted to cover a topic that is, uh, well, I feel quite important in politics. One of the ones that I sort of see as one of the most important issues we're going to come across. And that's the the, uh, the topic, rather, of language in politics. Um, what people should be using... Uh, the types of language we're seeing, changing in language, what that can mean for political discourse, uh, for how people go around the discussions of politics, both in the frontline politics, in political journalism, and uh, just normally at home. So uh, if we start off um, this special 50th episode with a little chat about what's going on with language in politics right now. And I think it's fair to say that there has been a notable upturn in the language of politics. It has gone away from, or seemingly away from, these policy debates and more into character debates. Now, some people will say I'm harking back to a golden age of politics that never existed when people just talked about policy, but I feel there's been a marked shift uh, sort of away from substance and on to just pure campaign uh, imagery, trying to put across style over substance every single time. Uh, I think you've seen that in some of the most recent campaigns. The the campaigns that won um, are the campaigns that were message disciplined and not necessarily the most fleshed out on terms of actual policy description. Uh, you saw that with three-word slogans, take back control and get Brexit done, arguably the two most successful three-word slogans in British politics. Uh, But if you ask people what they mean, it's very vague. Uh, It can mean essentially anything that you want to project onto it and uh, sort of lacks that basic policy detail underneath it. Uh, I'm not for one moment saying it's not an effective campaign strategy. It's clearly worked very well, but I think it is changing the way we're talking about politics uh, it's changing the the conversation around politics. Uh, I think another big element of that has come from Donald Trump across the pond in America. You've definitely seen uh, a change in the political discourse. Uh, if you look at some of the press conferences from Barack Obama's last year to Donald Trump's first year in office, the average statement is now shorter. Um, there are less opportunity for questions, and when questions are answered, those answers are, again, less full of of this detail, more uh, as if the, the audience are the people at home uh, who may not have uh, this policy knowledge, uh, so it's generally trying to pander to, to the crowd, and I think it's, there is a rise of populism. And I think this will continue to rise whilst it is shown to be a successful electoral strategy, which it quite clearly has been. And this political discourse at the very highest level of politics is moving away from substantive policy discussions into personal opinions, personal character attacks and the like is really... It's worrying because once you 
shrink the requirements of holding an office in terms of uh, what they have to know and be able to articulate about policy, then by default you shrink the office. And that is an argument you you can make about Donald Trump. Some people who, in their, in their views of Donald Trump, have seen him as having shrunk the office of the president to fit him rather than grown as a person to meet the office of the president. Other people will say, of course, that he is fulfilling all of his duties with alacrity and with skill, uh, and indeed he is upholding many of the campaign pledges he put forward, but that's not particularly the point of what I am saying today. All I'm saying is that it is hard to deny that the discourse of politics in terms of the substantive policy discussions that have been going on at the top levels in both Britain and America has been very, very different. Um, Again, another angle you can look at discussions of politics in politics is really uh, the journalism output and uh, this sort of it tends to now be far more confrontational than it was, uh, especially if we have a look at America. We have essentially two camps being set up, each with completely different focal groups. You have a right-wing media and political camp centred around Donald Trump, this Trumpian populism, and Fox News, who are very much espousing the same populism of Donald Trump. They will... Uh, reinforce his ideas and they will repeat them Uh, and indeed he will often reinforce and repeat some of their ideas and their ideas are often directly confrontational to some of the left's ideas so those ideas um, generally proposed mostly by people like CNN uh, and I suppose you would put Bernie Sanders into that category as well as sort of uh, almost a left-wing Trump Uh, he's very much a grassroots populist not always saying what the establishment want him to say, uh, very much a grassroots sort of figure, um, not always concerned about how those messages come across. And these messages, I think it is, again, very fair to say that the uh, the way in which those messages are being delivered has become a lot more confrontational. Uh, so when there are policy discussions, it again, it becomes less of a policy debate and more of a personal character debate. It is not um, really the sort of reasoned news discussion that we perhaps would have expected to see if we look back about 30 years. Uh, I've been looking through quite a lot of the presidential debates and some of the primary contest debates from uh, the 1970s all the way through to the 2020 primaries with Joe Biden currently leading uh, and there have been some clear differences between the uh, well the quality and the real level of the discourse in terms of how uh, these politicians are behaving sort of angrily more confrontational uh, certainly as time has gone on uh, that's not to say that without exception the 1970s and 80s were a non-confrontational and a non-angry political time of course that would be wrong to say but it has taken a step up and there was a 1976 uh, presidential debate between the then president Gerald Ford and the democratic challenger for that office Jimmy Carter uh, who would go on to win the presidency and in that debate Gerald Ford made quite a serious gaffe on foreign policy. He said that the people 
of Poland do not feel um, subjugated or under the domination of the Soviet Union when it was um, quite clear to most people that they were. Uh, and the moderator did not leap on him immediately. Uh, he followed what was then a precedent in that you do not allow politicians to slip themselves up uh, without giving them the opportunity to correct themselves. So he actually asked uh, he asked Mr Ford to repeat his answer and in fact repeated it back to him and said, do you mean this? Um, and that moderator was, I believe, from ABC, um, not one of the what we would call uh, overwhelmingly left-leaning media organizations in the in America, but definitely not uh, one that you would normally see aligned behind Gerald Ford and the Republicans, but still he was following this media precedent that it is not confrontational and not aggressive. Uh, and if you then contrast that with things that have been going on in 2016 and 2020, especially uh, from people like CNN and Fox News, you have people like Sean Hannity on Fox News, very, very confrontational, almost an abrasive media personality. And that is his style of presenting and his style of journalism. Uh, but it is definitively a, an uptone in, or uh, an upscaling in what we would consider as acceptable thresholds for confrontation and for uh, not so much aggressive behaviour, but certainly uh, less calm behaviour around these media events. And it's the same between candidates as well. In 1984, Ronald Reagan made um, one of the, the funnier interjections at um, a presidential debate between himself and his Democratic challenger, the former Vice President Walter Mondale. Um, he was asked a question about age, and he said he would not make age an issue of his campaign. He would not exploit for political purposes the youth and inexperience of his opponent. Ronald Reagan was running to be the oldest president ever. Uh, Walter Mondale was only, I think, 10 years or so behind him. Uh, Walter Mondale, instead of turning around to immediately attack Ronald Reagan on that, he burst out laughing. Uh, he laughed, he smiled, he joked. Uh, I think if you compare that to the 2016 presidential debates, the most recent presidential debates between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, there was no room for humour between the candidates. The two candidates were diametrically opposed. There was no room for bipartisan campaigning. There was no room for this um, camaraderie between Clinton and Trump. And I personally believe that to be damaging. And I think that that bleeds in to my final point. And my final point being how we talk about politics at home, in our living rooms, uh, in our social settings, uh, the real personal discussion of political topics. Um, that too has become more confrontational, more adversarial, I feel, or it certainly feels like it has anyway, but all of this is coming from the top. If we see this adversarial politics at the very top of our systems, our democratic systems in America, in the UK, then we will feel it as sort of the right thing to be doing, that if you truly believe in what you say you believe in and you support who you say you support, then you should be uh, almost attacking the people who don't support what you support. Um, and I think that bleeds down, especially when you come up, up across some of these deep-rooted arguments, uh, the Brexit argument in the UK, uh, Leave versus Remain, the Donald Trump's election. Many people with extremely strongly held views 
on both sides of those arguments, both of them feeling that they are completely in the right and that the other side is completely in the wrong. And there is not a lot of precedent coming down from the highest levels of government to sort of moderate these discussions and to produce these bipartisan or cross-partisan even uh, agreements, this moderate, um, vaguely uh, coordinated agreement on some of these these policies. Um, it is very hard to lay the blame on any one particular section, but I feel that it has to come down from a moderation of language at the top of politics if we're going to see uh, a more bipartisan and less adversarial discussion of politics at the very lowest levels. The people who individually, by going about their, their lives, make up uh, the electorate and will decide who the next governments of their respective countries are. Um, this political discourse, if it continues to deteriorate, can only be a bad thing. Uh, we've already seen in the last 50 years that the amount of bipartisan votes in the United States Congress, both in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, has declined dramatically. There are now far less examples of bipartisan compromise than there were 40 or 50 years ago. And the same is true to a less, slightly lesser extent in the UK House of Commons. And I think when you see the people at the top of government not working together, treating each other just because they have a differing political opinion, uh, treating them as their enemies, uh, when in fact all sides of a political debate or a reasoned political debate are working for what they see as the betterment of their country, uh, when we see people as our enemies just for being on the other side of a political spectrum and we start to think like that, we start to talk like that and we start to act like that, then it is increasingly negative for our political systems. If we cannot work together, then we cannot bring ourselves together and unify as a country. And that is a bad thing. Because at the end of the day, after every action that comes through in a political framework... There has to be a reunification. Uh, it cannot just be that we are constantly in campaign mode, constantly saying why um, we are better for holding our political beliefs than the other party or group or whomever you are attacking. Um, it is quite simply one of the things that we need to start doing in order to bring countries back together after intense political discussions in that we have to moderate our language so that the people whom we need to convince to our side or our opinion if we want to enact the legislation that we want to see and we want to move forward if we want to convince those we have to be able to come at their views with a level-headed approach uh, taking into account uh, factors that perhaps we hadn't even considered but they consider important. We have to be able to not just refer to them as our enemies or our opponents but as people with whom we will have to work uh, because if anything is going to get done for any meaningful amount of time it takes genuine compromise and moderating agreement and it is very hard to be moderate and to compromise with someone who will not even entertain the thoughts of calling you anything other than an enemy. With that, uh, that is it for this special 50th episode. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much for listening, and I will see you around for the next 
Politics Unboxed podcast. Thank you very much. I've been Reese, and goodbye.